worship as we magnify your name. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we magnify your name. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we magnify your name. like you. No other Savior, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You deserve the glory. Hallelujah. And all the world will praise your grace. 
He's worthy of all worship. He's worthy of all praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. He's worthy to receive all glory and all honor. Thank you, Jesus, for your manifest presence in this place. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you intervene in the affairs of men. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
You are altogether worthy to receive all worship and all praise, all glory and all honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your grace, your long-suffering patience to us, Word. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Praise God. He is the captain of the hosts of Israel. He is a God of victory. He is a God of battle. He doesn't know how to fail. Praise God. He is worthy this morning of our worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you so much for responding to the presence of God. You can be seated. We had our uh, men's breakfast yesterday morning. We had a great turnout. I think 11, 11, 11 men showed up. It was beautiful. Brother DeMuth got some ideas. I hope some good ones. We'll implement as many of those as we can. I'm looking forward to it. Brother DeMuth is doing a, a fantastic job leading the men's group. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen through our men. Praise God. It's great, and I'm going to say this, understanding how it's going to sound, but uh, please receive it in the spirit in which it's intended. It's wonderful when women worship and when women pray, but it is another thing altogether when the men of a church step forward in their God-given authority and pray and worship and respond to the presence of God. And lead us as a church into the presence of God. It is another thing entirely. <clears throat> as men, we need to enter into the authority that God has given us. We all do. But men in our society especially have been maligned, misunderstood, and certainly for our younger men, our teenage men, it becomes difficult to sort through all of that, and it becomes confusing and trying to figure out how I'm supposed to act and what I'm supposed to say and, and these feelings I'm having, what am I supposed to do with them? And uh, so it's good that, that we do get together as men and talk these things through. Uh, our elders, Our elders need to be teaching our younger men those things that they have learned, those things that God has shown them, brought them through. I wish, I wish I'd have taken advantage of older men in my life to hear their wisdom, to submit myself to their teaching. I did later, but I wish I'd have listened to them a little bit earlier. Amen. Young men need elders in their lives. I need an elder in my life. Praise God. Someone who's gone where I have not been yet. Who's seen things that I have yet to see. It's good for us to do that. Amen. Thank you, Brother DeMuth. Looking forward to, to what this ministry has in store. 
Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. This is a book of the Bible that everybody preaches out of at least once a week. I'll give you guys a moment. <laughs> try to try to find it again. Uh, amen. Haggai chapter 1, we'll read verses 2 through 11. Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. The Bible says this. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying that this people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build this house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Amen. We'll preach for a few minutes this morning on this topic, build my house. Build my house. Let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of his service. Bless each and every person here, that his will would be manifest, that his will would be uh that it would be perfected in our service now. Lord Jesus, we submit ourselves unto the Lord our God this this morning. We submit ourselves unto you through the word of God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to hear and to understand and to do all that you command us to do. We are your servants. We are blood-bought. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have been purchased with a price, and we are not our own. Hallelujah, Jesus. Command ye us, I pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do all that you command us to do, that your hand would be upon us for good, that your hand of blessing would be upon us, and that you would prosper us in the way that you're sending us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let your great name be glorified. Let your glorious name be glorified in our midst today. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you. You can be seated. One day, as many times before in a small country town, a little boy walked into a barber shop. As this was the only barber shop in town, it was always filled with customers. Looking at the little boy, the barber whispers to his customer, This is the most foolish kid in the world. Watch while I prove it to you. Everyone stopped doing what they were doing and watched the barber go behind the counter and call the little boy to him. While behind the counter, the barber puts a dollar bill in one hand and two quarters in the other. The barber puts the dollar, he puts out the money as the little boy comes over to him and, and the barber asks him, which one do you want, son? 
The boy takes the quarters, thanks to Barbara, and leaves. What did I tell you? The kid never learns. He's been coming in here every week for a couple of years now, and he always takes the quarters. The barber said laughing. Some customers laughed and agreed with the barber that the boy was foolish for doing so. There was one customer that he couldn't quite accept that. As this customer was leaving the barber shop, he decided to walk around town a little bit, hopefully find the boy and take him to tell, tell him to take the dollar next time he gets the chance. And he walked around a little bit and sure enough he found the boy. He was eating an ice cream cone, sitting outside of an ice cream store. Trying to do a good deed that day, he asked the boy first, Hey son, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Why don't you take the dollar bill? And he said, as soon as I take the dollar bill, the game's up. He'll stop offering me the money then. (laughs) And then the customer understood who the fool really was. (laughs) We'll get back to that later. In our scripture text, God issues two different exhortations. He tells the the nation of Israel, one, consider your ways. The other thing he tells them is build my house. Self-examination and introspection are disciplines that must be cultivated in in a Christian's life if we are to excel spiritually. Children, immature adults, they live for the moment. They can't think past tomorrow. They seek instant gratification. They're not concerned about consequences. They're not concerned about what's going to happen next week, tomorrow, let alone next year. Adults do. They understand through hard experience that there are consequences that are going to come tomorrow because of the choices I make today. We understand that because... We didn't listen to our parents either. Maybe a few of you did. Maybe a few of you did. And you'll be in a much better spot then. But in any case, most of us learn through hard experience. Oh, yeah. It is the way it works. There are consequences next month, next year. Because of choices I make all the way back today. Mature adults consider how our actions, choices, and decisions affect the future. Not only ours, but others. As adults, we have to consider that our actions and choices affect more than just me. I have a family. I have a wife. My choices and actions are going to affect them. I have friends. They're going to affect them. I belong to a congregation. They're going to affect them. And so it becomes more and more important as time goes on to search myself. A process of self-examination. To consider my ways. Psalm 77, 6 says this. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart. And my spirit made diligent search. Second Corinthians 13 and 5 says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, 
Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? Self-examination should take place on the basis of God's revelation of himself and the example he sets for believers in Jesus Christ. We ought not be comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. I'm doing better than him. I'm doing better than they are. So I'm okay. Well, they're not doing all that well either. If as a church we compare ourselves to the world at large, that's not a very high standard, is it? And we may stay more righteous than the world. I'll use that term loosely. But as the world declines, so will we. And if we draw a straight line on that graph, we see that we'll at, we're right where the world is at just a few years earlier. So our self-examination and our consideration ought to be on the basis of God's revelation, the Word of God, the example set forth in Jesus Christ. And this is because without His help, we can't see our own faults. We are blind, by and large, to our own faults. What we can see very clearly is each other's faults. You'll be able to see my faults much clearer than I can, and vice versa. Psalm 19.12 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My heart lies to me. It tells me things that aren't true. You're doing okay. You're not that bad. Things are going pretty good. That's probably not true. If my heart is telling me that, that's a red flag. It's probably a lie. Rather, I ought to examine the Word of God and let God examine me. We need Him to help us in our self-examination. Job 13.23 says, How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. Psalm 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. In our scripture text, God is telling his people to consider their ways, and there is a reason he was asking them to do this. If I can paraphrase, he's telling them, can you just stop and think for a moment? They're complaining about all of these things going on. All of these things that are going wrong in your lives. Can you just consider for a moment why? Why are they going wrong? There's a reason. There's a reason these things are happening. Think. Think for a moment. Why are they going wrong? Consider your ways. We have got to understand that, and I, I understand that not everything in our life happens because we are living in sin. Okay? I, I would certainly hope not. Anyway. Most times as a Christian, things will come into our lives because of something the Lord is trying to teach us. Something the Lord is trying to remove from our lives or put into our lives. 
He's trying to perfect us. That, by and large, is the life of a Christian when we encounter test and trial. That's why he's leading us to a higher plane. He's leading us to a closer walk with him. And so as Christians, that's what we have to look forward to. And I, as we said in the, the, the previous message, our discipleship class, we've got to change the way we think about these things. Understanding that these things are for our perfection. We go through tests and trials because God loves us and he wants us to improve and to be perfected. He's wanting to do things in us that we can't do yet, except we learn some things, except we get some things removed out of our lives, except he puts things into us that we're going to need later. But there are times in our lives where we are disobedient to the voice of the Lord. And we are not doing always those things that please Him. And in those times, the Lord loves us enough to spank us. He will spank us. He will correct His people. Thank God He corrects us. I am so thankful for the correction of the Lord. I want to make it. I don't want to be living in error. I don't want to be living in false doctrine or believing false doctrine. I don't want to be living in sin. I want to stand before God and give a good account. I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If he just let me do whatever I want, and then I have to stand before him in judgment, imagine my surprise. But sometimes in my life, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. And in those times, he is going to try to course correct me. And things start going wrong. And circumstances start blowing up in my face. And I'm confused. I'm wondering why. That's generally the first question, isn't it? Why, God, why me? I've done this and this and this, and I've given that and that and that, and and all of these things I've gone through for you. Why are you doing this to me? If I may be so bold, and I say this to me because I've done this, how ignorant is a response like that. How stupid can I be to think that the Lord is coming down on me because He's angry, because He hates my guts now? What an ignorant response. And if I can... And and I've done it. I've done it. So I'm not standing in judgment of anybody else that does. I'm just saying, considering who God is and what he's done for me, I can't think of a more ignorant response that I could give him than that. To to be upset with him all of a sudden, like it's his fault. It's his fault I'm in this situation. And he'll just tell me, think about it. Consider your ways. Maybe... There's a reason for it. It's possible. 
Let's consider the possibility. Let's just assume for a moment there is. What, what could that reason be? And the Lord is so nice and so gracious with the nation of Israel. He is doing all of these things, trying to get their attention, trying to bring them back to him, trying to get them to understand you're not doing something you're supposed to be doing. Why does God want his house built? That's the whole, that's the whole crux of this matter. They're not building God's house. They're building their house. It's not that they don't have the materials or the time or the talent. They're just doing something else instead. And this is the problem. In our scripture text, Israel is not only not doing what they're supposed to do, but they're taking the resources God has given them and building their own kingdom, building their own house, enjoying their own time. Can't we build a house? Can't we enjoy some time? That's not it at all. That's not it at all. But God has given them everything. And with that comes a little bit of responsibility. We have a bit of responsibility because God has given us all these things. I want you to use some of that and build my house. That's why I gave you all of this. The extra, use that for you. But I want my house built. He didn't give us all of this stuff so we could build our own and leave the house of God desolate. He gave all of these things to us so that we could build His house, so that we could accomplish His will, so that we could perpetuate His plan. Not ours. Ours is secondary at best. At best, ours has to be secondary. Ours has to take a subservient position. God is the primary. He's God. He's the king. He gets to tell me what to do. Some people don't like that. I'm sorry. He's still going to tell you what to do. You can tell him no. You sure can. Absolutely. You can tell him no your entire life. You can go to the grave telling him no. But that life is going to be hard and miserable. And you don't have anything better to look forward to afterward. When we tell God yes... I always feel like I have to explain this. I I know you guys understand it. But God doesn't tell us to do stuff because he's an egomaniac. He doesn't tell us to do things or or withhold us from doing other things because he's a control freak. That's not the God we serve. 
He puts rules in our lives. He puts boundaries up to protect us. You can play in the you can play in the street during rush hour if you want, but God is telling you not to. Why? Because he's he's taking freedom from me. I'll play in traffic if I want. Okay. But these things are here for our protection. God knows what's best. He knows what's best for me. And so he tells me that I can do certain things and I cannot do other things. And I can kick and scream and moan and complain all I want, but it's still the best thing for me to tell God yes. And here's something else I've learned. I don't always have to understand why he tells me. I just have to do it. I don't need understanding all the time. And I want understanding so desperately. I want to understand why he tells me these things and, and what he's planning. And I, I want to search it out and, and I want to get all the pieces lined up. That's me. That's who I am. But sometimes God doesn't need to tell me. Why? Because he's God. And God thinks what's best for me is not knowing right now. That's okay. That's okay if God doesn't tell me why. I'm okay with that. I trust him. I love him. The relationship that I have with him thus far lets me to understand that even if he doesn't explain everything, I can trust him. I can trust his character to the point where, like Job says, if he slays me, I'll still trust in him. There's got to be a good reason for it. Because his character demands it. My understanding of who God is demands it. That's the way it is. That's who God is. He wants the very best for his people. And so he gives us commands. And if we'll follow them, the best will come to us. In the scripture text, he's telling the Israelites, build my house. There's a good reason he's telling them that. But they decide, like Adam in the Garden of Eden, I got a better plan. We're going to go a different direction. We're going to try something new. And so God brings situations and circumstances into their lives to wake them up and to cause them to see this isn't a better plan. This isn't a good direction to go. There were all kinds of things going wrong with the Israelites. We look back at the scripture text. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. Your wages are emptied out in that bag with holes. You looked for much, and it came to little. I expected great things from this plan. This was an awesome plan. And nothing came of it. When you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? Because of mine house that is waste. 
and ye run every man unto his own house. I have a plan for your life. I have things that I want to do through you. And you would not. God brings things into our lives for a reason. Circumstances, situations, we don't always know why, we don't always understand. At best, He's allowing these things to happen. At worst, He's bringing them directly. But in either case, in either case, He's involved. And He's involved for a reason. When we encounter hard times, and I alluded to this during the first service, there are members of our congregation that are going through nightmare situations. <clears throat> These things that we encounter happen for a reason. They happen for a reason. I don't always have the answer. You don't always have the answer. A lot of times it's a mystery to us. But yet here we are, in the middle of the situation, the trial, the test, the hard time, the confusing situation, the fear, the dread, the doubt. In these times we have to trust God. We have to lean on Him and get strength from Him. You can't do it on your own. You're not... You were never supposed to do it on your own. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You're not gifted enough. You're in the situation maybe for that very reason. Trust in God. Lean it on Him. Understand that you're there for a reason, and it's not a bad one. It's a good one. It's a good reason that you're here. It's a hard situation. The situation itself, I, maybe I just don't have the grace to call that a good situation yet, but, but good will come of it. That much we know. This too will work together for good. If we'll continue to trust in Him. But we've got to trust in Him, and we've got to let Him have His perfect work. That thing that He has started in us, let Him perfect it. Let Him finish it in you. <clears throat> God wants His house built. Now we can take that two ways. <clears throat> He's, in the Old Testament, He was concerned with a building. He was concerned with the temple. <clears throat> he wanted the temple rebuilt. Today, that's not the case. He's not so interested in a building. Today, we are the building. We are the temple of God. And we can have church in a, in a basement. We can have church in a field, in a bar. We can, have it in, we can have it here, in your home, anywhere we want. 
as long as we're there, it's church. As long as we're there, the presence of God is there. And so, <clears throat> he's not talking about building a building. He's talking about building his church. He's talking about building his kingdom. And that has two aspects to it, and they're both equally important. Yes, God is interested in numbers. Numbers are souls. Numbers are souls. The more numbers we have, the more souls we're bringing into the kingdom. Okay, We're not concerned about a big number. We're concerned about big souls. We want souls. God wants souls. He suffered on a cross and died for them. That's why he came. That is... That is one of our primary missions as a church, as a child of God, is to reach the lost. The other is equally important, and that is to perfect the saints. After salvation, salvation is a wonderful event. It's a beautiful event. It's a beginning. It's just a beginning. You have a whole life in front of you yet of living for God of growing, of maturing, of learning. That's what you have to look forward to after salvation. After salvation, you're born. People don't go to the hospital, have a baby, and then just kick them out on the street. Good to go. Go get a job, son. Yeah, raise yourself. That's not how it works, and that sounds ludicrous. But that's what a lot of churches want to do with their new converts. We just want to get them saved, get them saved, get them the Holy Ghost. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. That's a necessary first step. But it's just the first step. Now, the hard work comes. Now we get to raise them. It's easy to have a baby. It's a whole lot... Okay, it's easy for me to have a baby. <laughs> Both times I was at McDonald's getting a hamburger. <laughs> Denny's the second time. Tomato, tomato. That <laughs> <I> derailed. <laughs> Art Bart is raising him. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad. Whew. All right. So, let's bring it back. God wants them saved, but he wants them perfected. He wants us to become mature Christian adults who can then go out and have babies of their own and raise them so that they can go out and have babies of their own and raise them. Etc., etc., etc. That's God's plan. We don't need just a few superstars to just save a bunch of people. We can't handle that. We don't want that. What would we do if we got 150 people in here and they got the Holy Ghost? What would we do with that? We'd probably lose most of them. Because we don't have the facilities right now to. Disciple them. <clears throat> We're going to work on that. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And so, just as an aside, as far as we're concerned as a church, we would like to see steady, consistent growth. We don't need a great big boom and then nothing. I would much rather see a few here, a few there, disciple them. A few more, disciple them. A few more, disciple them. The reason for that is because long-term, long-term, I'm not looking for any short-term anything. We're not looking for short-term gains. We're not looking for uh, pump the numbers so we can report to headquarters kind of thing. That that turns me off. Uh, anyway, we're building the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing. And it's a long-term process. It's not going to happen overnight. We understand that. <clears throat> but that's how it's going to happen. We need to disciple them as they come in. Amen. That is the perfect will of God for every child of God, is to grow to perfection. God is interested in both numerical and spiritual growth. Neither one is more or less important than the other. We need both. We're going to focus on both. The reason all of these things was happening to the nation of Israel was because they left off doing that. They instead began to pursue their own agenda. And this is basically the crux of the message. As children of God, as spiritual creatures, we understand, or we ought to understand, that there is more to this spiritual life than coming into a building a couple times a week, singing some songs, hearing a message, and going home, and continuing on with our lives. This is not an addition to the life I already have. This is my life. This is who I am now. This is who you are now. There is no middle ground here. There's no, uh, sometimes I'm this, sometimes I'm that. You know, I'm wearing multiple hats. We have multiple responsibilities. I understand that. We have jobs. We have bills. We have people we're caring for. I get that. And we need to fulfill them. But our primary responsibility is this. If we're not satisfying this responsibility, none of that is going to matter. It's not going to matter. You're going to fail at that too. Unless you put the kingdom of God first. Now again, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but this message is given for a reason. Let God have his perfect work. We have got to put the kingdom of God first in our lives. We have got to put the kingdom of God first. If we don't, if we put anything else first, if we put our own agendas first, if we make that the priority, and it's easy to do, you may not even know you're doing it. You get so caught up in stuff, and, and all of these things come at you all at once. It can happen just like that. 
we have a great service and oh, I'm really focused and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to get up and pray and I'm going to do this. And then Monday morning rolls around and I overslept and, and I'm scrambling and, and I get to work and all of these things, email, emails are coming in and, and blah, 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 blah. And I've already forgotten everything that I talked about. Because my, my week is off and running. By the time Wednesday comes, I'm like, I haven't done anything. I haven't done that. <clears throat> I said I was going to do that and I didn't. It's easy to do. But we have got to discipline ourselves and prioritize our time. We have 24 hours in the day, just like everyone else. Everyone is given 24 hours a day. We always like to use the excuse, I just don't have time. We have as much time as everyone else does. It's just that we're spending it differently. We need to look at how we're spending our time and invest some of that into the kingdom of God. As the days grow, as the weeks pass, God is going to be asking things of us as individuals, as families, as a church. He will be. If he hasn't already, we have got to be ready to say yes. We have got to be ready to move forward as individuals, as families, as a church body. We're going through things now to prepare us for then so that we can tell God yes, so that God can ask that of us. In that day, let us be prepared. Let us be ready to say yes. It's God's desire first and foremost to build his house. His house, not yours, not mine, his that has to be the priority. Forsake your own plans, your own hopes, your own dreams, and dedicate yourself to pursuing after God's plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And I'll say that, and I'll continue to say that, until everybody believes it. I know a lot of you do. He's got a plan. I don't care if you're two years old. I don't care if you're 92, 102. He's got a plan for you. And he wants that plan fulfilled. He wants his house built. We need to rededicate ourselves. We need to refocus on things that are eternal. Get our eyes off of the temporal. Get our eyes off of these things that are transient and temporary. This is all going to burn. It's all going away. There's a story uh, in one book I read. You've probably read it. It's, it's, a, it's a book on stewardship. I can't remember the title now, but anyway. There's a story about the, the Confederacy during the, the Civil War. How that some smart people, they knew the end was coming for the the confederacy and so they were still living there so they were still using the confederate dollars so they would keep just enough confederate dollars to take care of the business they needed to take care of and they'd invest the rest in u.s dollars because they knew eventually these are going to be worthless so they would put as much money as they could into u.s dollars keep just enough to take care of business now 
the moral of the story was pretty soon all of this, not my wipe, good grief. There. <laughs> Boy, there's the big surprise. <laughs> took me an hour and a half to get it out. That money's going to be worthless here real soon. All of the stuff that I, that I spend my time on, put my affections on, my brand new computer, my brand new phone that I love so much, loved when they were brand new, they're going to go away. They got a few more years of life left, and then they're going to be junk, useless. But, <laughs> but if I put my money and my time and my, my energies into the kingdom of God, that lasts forever. That will be waiting for us in heaven. I keep just enough of that stuff to take care of my responsibilities down here. Everything else I put into the kingdom of God. And then I have that to look forward to for all eternity. That treasure, I will, I will spend it, but it will never be spent. I'll enjoy it, but it will never get used up. What an awesome thing. The idea that we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. We cannot pursue our own agenda. We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of what we want to do, off of what we want to see done, the things that we want to enjoy. Our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We signed away these things when we said yes to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we said yes to Jesus Christ because we counted the cost. And we understood that the cost far, far was inferior to the benefits that we receive. The benefits are far superior to the cost that we pay. It's like getting a million dollar mansion for a buck two ninety eight. I would pay a dollar for a million dollar mansion. I most surely would. Might even pay a buck twenty five. But I'm getting a better deal with Jesus. The things that he provides for me, eternal life, a relationship with my creator, help in time of need, a shield, a buckler, a savior, a redeemer, a provider, everything I have need of. If I'll just put his kingdom first. This whole thing with uh, COVID, and again, please take this in the spirit in which it is intended. This COVID thing is a distraction. It's a distraction. It is getting our eye off the ball. There are things God wants us focused on. Amen, buddy. <laughs> there are things God wants us focused on and as a church universal we have gotten our eye off the ball we have gotten focused on COVID we've gotten focused on politics we've gotten focused on cultural issues 
and they all fall in there somewhere. I'm not making light of any of it. But that's not our priority. Our priority is the salvation of the lost, the perfection of the saints, building God's kingdom. That's our priority. We cannot afford to allow doubt or fear or any such thing enter into the mind of a Christian, enter into the mind of, of a son or daughter of God. They are not of God. We take precautions. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind. I'm saying we take precautions, but we're not fearful. We're prudent, but we're not fearful. If we're fearful, we're wrong. We've allowed something in that ought not be there. That is not of God. If we're having doubts as to to whether or not God can protect me or whether or not God can provide for me, that's wrong. We've allowed something into our lives that ought not be there. I love Stephen. You're a good guy. So why are all of these things happening to us as a nation? Why are all of these things happening? We have forsaken God. God has removed his hand of protection and his hand of blessing. But there's a reason for that. He's getting, trying to get our attention. And I think, primarily, he's trying to get our attention as a church. Because we have gotten our eye off the ball. There are things that are going on in this world that ought not be going on. Dominion should have been taken over those things a long time ago. Victory should have been attained a long time ago. But we're still dealing with them. We're still struggling with things in our society and in our churches, the families in our churches, that we ought not be struggling with. But here we are today, in the situation that we're in. We have got to step up as a church. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything other than this. Let's focus all the more on the things of God. Let's examine ourselves. Is there anything I can get rid of? Is there anything more that I can do for the Lord Jesus Christ? God has given us everything. He has sacrificed everything for us. He's not asking any more of us than he's already given to us. The Save Our Nation event is coming up. We're going to start focusing on that as a church. May 23rd at 6 p.m. We're going to meet here. It's going to be live broadcast from Milwaukee. let's reach out to family, friends, those at work. Let's reach out and bring them here. The district, the section, we are expecting a massive outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And please understand, I spoke earlier, we're not looking for a big influx of souls and then nothing. That's not what I want this to be. I want this to be a launching pad. I want this to be the beginning of something. Whoever God brings in, 
whoever God saves, we will disciple them. We will work with them. We will love them. We will teach them. And we will bring others in. And we will do the same. This will be, this will be the start of something wonderful. Okay. We've got to get ready for it. When we have people that need to be discipled, how many? Actually, don't. Some of you here have discipled others. You know that it takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice to disciple someone. It does. Thank God someone spent some time with me. Now, there are those, there there are some here, maybe you've never been discipled. You've never had someone teach you. That is that is a sad reality in our churches today. Now more than that, maybe maybe 50 years ago, I wasn't here. I was here, but very small. <laughs> maybe 50 years ago, it, it was different. I, I don't know. I can't speak to that. But I know today versus 50 years ago, Things are night and day different. People coming in today have never been to church. They have never cracked a Bible open. They have never heard the Word of God preached. They don't understand morality like you do. They don't understand truth like you do. Not just scriptural truth. The idea of truth in general is foreign to a lot of people today. The truth is objective. The truth can be known. They don't understand that. And so they need to be taught things. Men coming in don't understand what it means to be a man. Women don't know what it means to be a woman. How to parent. How to manage finances. How to be a responsible uh, member of society. These are things that we're going to be dealing with as a church. And... God is going to ask us to provide that. We need to be ready to do that as a church. It will take our time. It will take our finances. It will take our energy and our talent to do so. But we are investing into the kingdom of God. We are putting his kingdom first. We are building his house. And if we'll do that, your house is going to be built by default. God will take care of all of that for you. But we've got to, we've got to prioritize our time, our money, and our talents. We've got to prioritize them on the kingdom of God. Starting this week until May 23rd, I want to institute a time of prayer and fasting every Tuesday and Thursday. Now fasting is a, is a curse word. I understand that. If you have not fasted in a while, take it slow. Okay? But do what you can. Sacrifice. Do what you can. Every Tuesday and Thursday, if you can meet at the church, my wife and I will not be able to meet at the church, but if you can and you want to, please, it's available. If you can get in, uh, If enough people want to, we'll make sure it's open. But uh, 
every Tuesday and Thursday from 7 to 8. Uh, wherever, if you can't come to the church and you're at home, that's fine. We're going to be at home from 7 to 8 praying specifically for this event, the Save Our Nation event. If you can fast both days, I would ask that you do that. Uh, if you if you just can't, you work out, you work a physical job. You know I understand that. Uh, do what you can. Sacrifice what you can for the kingdom of God, for the salvation of the lost, the perfection of the saints. This portion of the website isn't up yet, but it will be today. I'm going to work on that. Uh, there are some YouTube videos out uh, on outreach, altar work, and uh, retention. All things that we'll need to be be up on. Uh, we'll put those out on the website. You can look at those starting tomorrow. And believe that God will move miraculously in our city. This is the end times. We just we don't know how much time we have left before Jesus comes again. It could be tomorrow, and we've heard this our whole Christian lives, right? I get it. I do. I've heard, I heard this from the first time I stepped foot in a Pentecostal church. Jesus is coming soon. A church, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming sooner than when we first believed. We, we don't know when he's going to come back, but we can see the signs. We can read the signs, and we understand that our time here is short. We have got to be busy. We have got to be productive for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> There's going to be an end-time revival. I want to be a part of that revival. I want desperately to see God change lives like he changed mine. He is such a good God. Amen. Let's all stand.